so Saturday was my birthday. I am now 26, which is years beyond the point where hosting a podcast about alternative music would have been deemed acceptable. I should, like, be out doing cool shit that actually makes a difference in the world, you know, but... Or, you know, I could use that college degree that I spent so much time and money putting into, but here I am, talking about music. Still trying to grow this platform. And I'm mostly just joking around now, but I do often have moments of, you know, existential crisis where I wonder why things are the way they are and how I feel so limited in what my brain is willing to make time for. And... You know, I'm I'm just going to stop talking about all this now before I get too deep and nihilistic. Um, a lot, and I mean a lot of artists dropped some shit last week, and I'm here to cover all those happenings. Like, seriously, there is a lot to talk about, so I'll go ahead and get started now with the singles that were released. AFI put out two new songs, Dulceria and Far Too Near. These are both from their upcoming album on June 11th called Bodies. There have been a few songs from this album already released, and I was mostly ambivalent on those, but these two new tracks are fucking great. Especially Dulceria. That song has a really cool, like, indie and pop feel to it, and it's just so catchy, and the bass line all throughout has the ability to force you to listen intensively. Far Too Near is just a little bit heavier, but even then, it's more pop rock than anything else, with some flares of, like, 70s and 80s synth-pop infused. I was so surprised by how much I like these songs, given that I haven't felt really strongly for anything by AFI since probably probably a few songs from Burials like I Hope You Suffer and 17 Crimes. And, you know, maybe maybe Bodies is going to be something special, and I would hope that's the case, since AFI is such an important band to a lot of this music scene's roots. Vertigo is the name of the new single from Alice Merton, whose name I misspelled on the graphic for the singles I posted to social media, so, yeah, that was my bad. Like, I, I'm, I'm genuinely embarrassed by that, especially given how much I like this song. I hadn't listened to her prior to this, which after looking at how many Spotify listeners she has, I had a moment where I was like, where the fuck have I been? She's doing some fucking numbers, and I can't say I'm surprised because, again, Vertigo is really good. I don't really want to call it dark pop per se, but that was one of my initial thoughts about its sound, and the instrumentation is so bouncy and Alice does this thing with her voice where it feels like it's matching that energy and like if you bop your head up and down her voice follows your motions that's some trippy shit I'm saying I know but it was how I felt listening to this stellar song that I cannot recommend enough all hours have a brand new song called before I go This is set to be the closing track on their EP, Perspectives, which is out April 16th, so the Friday that this episode is going live. Wow. Genuinely, wow, is the bare minimum to describe how impactful this song felt to me.
Like, no cap, I was almost moved to tears by how beautiful and gutting this song is. And it definitely knows what it's doing to listeners because the song is mostly acoustic until the final minute where the rest of the band comes in. The easiest comparisons I can make is that it follows a similar structure to My Immortal by Evanescence and Your Guardian Angel by The Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. For 2 minutes and 54 seconds, this song takes you on such an emotional journey and then spends the next 20 seconds or so building up to its endgame in as captivating of a manner as any song I've ever heard that uses this template. The backing track toward the song's conclusion repeats some lines from the chorus that were engraved into my mind the entire weekend. I won't be the one whose back you're gonna break when you finally figure out that I'm not there. Absolutely fucking amazing song, and I don't see myself pushing this one to the side anytime soon. Next, we got Apollo Junction and their new song, Light Up the Sky. As soon as I started listening to this single, I was trying to figure out what it reminded me of because it was bothering me for a second. And not bothering in a bad way, just one of those moments where I was like, fuck, where have I heard something similar before? And then instantly the song turned into Call Me by Blondie. I, I really liked it, and I don't know if Apollo Junction has the kind of sound that would keep me interested in a larger project from them. But for just this one single, I had a good time with Light Up the Sky. Erin Jones has a new single called Spinning Circles. This is coming two months after Mercy, which was the first song of his I listened to. I gave Spinning Circles a rating of I Didn't Mind It, and while I have warmed up to the song a bit since last Friday, I still see it as something that is building to what will be the moment where Aaron Jones finally clicks for me. Like, I can hear promise in his work right now, and I have no reason to believe that he won't deliver an amazing song sooner than later. Spinning Circles is a pretty fluid hard rock song that I'll still recommend, even if I can't sell it as hard as I can some of the other songs I'm talking about today. And just to throw this out there, since I made some comparisons for the last song, I got some pretty big heart-shaped box by Nirvana vibes all throughout this track, and especially in the chorus. And that's not a complaint for me, it's just an observation. The biggest surprise of last week was the fact that I fucking love the new single from Blackville Brides called Fields of Bone. I don't look at Blackville Brides in nearly as negative of a light as a lot of other people do, but it has been more than a few years since I was truly hooked by this band. Like, I thought about it, and it was probably Heart of Fire that marks the last time I loved Blackville Brides, and that song's about to turn 7 this year. Fields of Bone is the second single from their upcoming album, The Phantom Tomorrow, which is out on June 4th. The last single came out around November, and it was Scarlet Cross, and I cannot tell you anything about what that song sounded like, because I don't fucking remember. It was painfully forgettable. But this new song is such a shot of adrenaline into this band that they've been lacking for so long. Maybe it doesn't do anything innovative, and it 
it is a standard Blackville Bride song, but it's the execution and delivery of this content that resonates with me and is the reason I'm speaking so highly of this single right now. This was a really pleasant surprise, and now I find myself eager to hear what the remainder of this record sounds like. Crossfaith just dropped a new single called Red Zone, which continues a really cool pattern for this band so far this year. They had a song back in January called Dead or Alive, and it was written as part of promotion for the 1000th chapter of One Piece. This time, Red Zone was written for a video game based on Gundam, so it's just really cool for me personally to see these crossovers between metalcore and anime and manga culture. And, you know, straightforward, like, this song is fucking awesome. It's heavy and catchy and, you know, not hard at all to just close your eyes and visualize it as the opening to a series like Gundam or any other action-based franchise. Red Zone accomplished everything it needed to, and I'm more than happy with the quality of Crossfade's material as of late. And since I just mentioned One Piece and Gundam, I need somebody who's listening to this to please hold me to what I'm about to say. There will, and I promise, there will someday be an episode of this podcast about anime music. There's no way that doesn't happen given how much of a fanatic I am for anime and how many incredible opening and ending songs exist. Gypsy is the name of the newest Dirty Honey single, and I formed a preconceived notion about what this song would sound like just from its artwork, because the art gave me massive classic rock vibes, and I'm not necessarily someone who can be appreciative of classic rock. So, you know, I admittedly went into this song expecting to not be a fan of it, but ultimately, I was. I thought this song did a great job at taking some concepts and ideas that I don't normally gravitate to, but put them into practice in manners that were easy to sink my teeth into. By no means was this among my favorite singles from last week, but I did enjoy it. Discord Curse have a new single out called Skinflict, and I agree that Discord is cursed, but anyway. Uh, this was really cool. I, I didn't... I didn't know what to think of this song initially because it opens and you're immediately greeted with chugging riffs that don't exactly sound like they were mixed and mastered on the higher end of that facet. But that actually works to the song's advantage because that grittiness really lends itself to establishing an almost uncomfortable atmosphere. Especially around the 1 minute and 25 second mark where... The song just slows down, and there's a riff that gets interrupted by sped-up instrumentation. And that section alone made this track memorable for me, and I've gone back to Skinflict a lot since I first heard it. Drown This City released a new single called New Burn Order. This band has some talent, man. Like, holy shit. I don't recall ever listening to them before this single, but... The juxtaposition between the clean and screaming vocals in the intro really caught me off guard, and the rest of the band kind of wraps itself around that dynamic. This is in the realm of, like, atmospheric metalcore. 
if that makes any sense. And I think this song brings life to that sector of the genre that isn't always there on certain releases. The breakdown in the middle of the song is perfect. The artwork I especially love. Really just a, just a well-rounded song that I thought was tremendous. Fit for a King and Silent Planet collaborated with each other on remixes, if you want to use that term, of two of their songs, and they traded vocalists. Ryan Kirby from Fit for a King sang on Trilogy, which is Silent Planet's most recent single, and Garrett Russell from Silent Planet sang on Stockholm, which is from Fit for a King's 2020 album, The Path. Fit for a King did something like this last year with We Came as Romans, so it's cool to see them continue this trend, and I'm not against this being something that can be done every so often with themselves and other metalcore bands. Um, and yeah, other than that, not really a whole lot to say. I thought both of these songs were good originally, and that's still the case even with a new take on the vocal performances of both tracks. Cloud Sick is the newest single from Free Throw. I fucked up on the social media graphic for this song and accidentally got the band and song names mixed up, so I, I do apologize for that. This song was really good. I'm not too familiar with Free Throw, even though I know I've heard them before because I recognize some of their artwork, and this was a really, really enjoyable song. It it's pop punk that leans into the more gloomy side of the genre, and that's highlighted by, like, hints of aggression you can hear coming from the vocals, and that's all layered over some rather cheerful-sounding instrumentation. I have such an appreciation for this track, and I'm eager to see what becomes of their album that was announced alongside this single, piecing it together out on June 25th. Gabriel Black released King of the Nosebleeds, and I'll be completely transparent about this song. I was listening to it on Friday, and was ready to give it a rating of I didn't mind it. Like, I didn't think it was bad. Vocally, it reminded me of Lil Peep, while instrumentally, it had the vibe of, like, an acoustic pop-punk sort of track. I thought it was fine, but not really captivating. But then there was a very specific line in the second verse that just made me pause the song and think about what I just heard. Got your poster on my wall like I'm 14 and you're the Biebs. In my head, I'm a king, you're supposed to be the queen. That line came in and I was just like, dude, this is insane. And it forced me to listen intensively to the rest of the song and I was hooked by it. It picks up an instrumentation toward the final minute, not really in the same powerful way that Before I Go by All Hours did, but just enough to leave a stamp on this song's conclusion and leave you captivated by King of the Nosebleeds. Glassbone got Kyler Millo from Bloodbather on their new single, Deep Blue Sea. This song immediately gets to the point in a way that pretty much commands one's attention. I don't know if you would call this metalcore or hardcore specifically, but I think it finds that happy medium between the two genres and gives listeners something to, like, admire. And Glassbone's Instagram bio also reads, 
industrial metalcore. And uh, truthfully, that's probably a better way to describe this song, now that I think about it. It's not only unapologetically heavy, but also unapologetic in how it introduces Kyler without warning or any prior buildup at around the 1 minute and 20 second mark. I'm not even really sure where this band came from since this is their first song on Spotify, and right now they're only sitting at around 1,500 listeners on that platform, but I think this song is perfectly capable of helping them see some growth in their numbers. Go stream Deep Blue Sea. Like, I I really want this band to break through in the near future. Glimmers continue their streak of tremendous singles through their latest one, By the Lips. I only became aware of this band back in January, but the consistency of all their singles so far this year is characteristic of a veteran band, and not one that doesn't even have an album to their name yet. By the Lips takes the mellow pop rock nature of their previous tracks and adds just a, a tiny, tiny bit of aggression that you can feel in the vocals, primarily in the chorus. And maybe aggression isn't the right word to use, but it's the one I'll use anyway. Glimmers is one of the coolest up-and-coming bands in the alternative scene, and I can't express how vital they could be to the future of our little weird corner of the music landscape if they continue to put out songs that are of the quality of By the Lips. Alright, this is a big one now. No More Roses by Holding Absence. This song isn't on Spotify as of now, but it did get a music video and that's why I'm talking about it today. Holding Absence's new album, The Greatest Mistake of My Life, is out on April 16th, so the day after this episode is being uploaded. I'm going to save a lot of my thoughts on Holding Absence as an overall project for that review, so for now, I'll just say that I liked No More Roses, but definitely not to the extent that I saw others on social media express. And that's seemingly the pattern I've followed with Holding Absence for two singles now, but again, I'll have more complete thoughts next week once I've heard The Greatest Mistake of My Life in full. Holy Wars brought forth their newest single, TV Dinner, and probably the most apropos way to describe it would be hard rock with flares of punk mixed in, and this was actually really enjoyable. By this point in the episode, I just feel like I'm regurgitating the same vernacular for all these songs, but I genuinely like them. I thought it was a really good week for singles, and TV Dinner has something to do with that. It's catchy and carries with it some angst that matches the low-quality image on the artwork. In some ways, it feels like a throwback while also showcasing what modern rock can sound like when performed at a high level. Victory by Hot Oil was surprisingly good in my opinion, and I say surprisingly because the opening chorus really made me think of Imagine Dragons, and this <laughs> this is not a podcast for Imagine Dragon fans. I, I, I think your band is pretty fucking mid, honestly, just saying, I'm sorry. But Hot Oil is not mid. Uh, this song is honestly kind of cheesy and has a pretty bland theme about like 
victory and triumph, but it's executed through some really cool vocal delivery and huge arena-sounding instrumentation. And yeah, maybe the song was on the lower end of the tracks that I liked last week, but I'm still giving it a lot of praise for winning me over when I was ready to count it out almost immediately. Iron Tom dropped what is by all means an EP, but it has three songs on it, only one of which is a new original song, so I'm reviewing that track on its own rather than as part of a larger entity. That song is Call Me the West featuring the Dead Deads, and I'm such a fan of this song. There's some real vibrancy to the instrumentation here. Like, I've struggled with what to say this actually sounds like because I can hear hints of rock, funk, R&B, and pop mixed into this one amalgamation of sounds that mesh together incredibly well. Factor in the vocal work from Harry Hayes that moves along perfectly to the song's rhythm, and you have one of the more remarkable tracks from last week in my eyes. Such an infectious chorus that is beyond difficult to force out of your head once you've heard it. Last week I said it felt like Jutes was releasing a new song every week, and I, I was kind of just exaggerating, but now it's a fact because he dropped yet another brand new single. This time it's Hummingbird, and I think this track just further cements the unreal consistency that Jutes has with his material. Very quietly, it feels like Jutes is going on the kind of singles run that other artists would kill to have. He just, he just does not miss. Hummingbird is so fucking catchy, that mixture of hip-hop with pop works so well for him. And you know what this song reminded me of? Sunflower by Post Malone and Sway Lee. And I mean that as a compliment, because I think just like Sunflower, Hummingbird is an excellent song that definitely warrants at least a courtesy listen from everyone. Death Wish by Lolo. Death Wish by fucking Lolo, dude. This song seemingly came out of nowhere last week and just about knocked the wind out of me the first time I heard it. I, I think more than ever before, this year is showing me how easily I gravitate toward the darker side of pop music. A and maybe that's a credit to the later material of bands like Bring Me the Horizon and Paramore. But specifically in relation to 2021, I, I want to say that Maggie Lindemann was the start of that and then it progressed through the months and now here I am talking about why Death Wish is one of the best songs I've heard recently. The chorus has no right to be as catchy as it is, and especially with such nihilistic lyrics like, I don't know how or when, but I know it's going to have a tragic end, because I kill everything I've ever loved. A and then there was an interview that Lolo did with The Hidden Hits where she says that the origins of this song came when she accidentally killed her goldfish when she was five, and how that pattern of ruining things she loved escalated to human relationships as she grew up, a and how Death Wish is a warning to anyone who tries to love her because she's putting her destructive nature on display for everyone to grasp 
through this song. Like, fucking hell, dude. So much thought went into producing this track, and I cannot get enough of it. Death Wish is amazing, and it's the kind of song that I can identify with on a level that makes me so uncomfortable and, like, forces me to put my own life events into perspective. I fucking love everything about Death Wish. God damn it, man. This... Fuck. This should have been the number one song in Scenic Overlook, I think. I, I, I just sold myself on that. This was my favorite song of the week. I, I've decided that live on this show just now. New number one song of the week. Death Wish by Lolo. Go stream that shit. Let Me Rust is the debut single from Onslow, which is a project from Make Them Suffer vocalist Sean Hermanis and Voyager guitarist Scott K. Um, an article about Let Me Rust from Wall of Sound likened this song to The Smashing Pumpkins and Deftones. And having that comparison in my brain now, yeah, I can easily hear it in this track. Maybe some Thrice and Can't Swim thrown in there, just to make more modern comparisons. But no matter how you try to spin what this song sounds like, I don't think it can be denied that it's fucking brilliant. The way that the verses slow down and bring forward a chilling bassline just puts you in a position where you're, you're forced to just like pay attention and, and listen more carefully than you would any other song. And that's also attributed to Sean delivering his lines in a very soft-spoken manner. As a debut track, I think Let Me Rust is a success, and I really want there to be more material in the future from Onslow. Seven Years Shine a Light on Me is the newest single from Our Hollow, Our Home. This is the fourth song released thus far from their new album, Burn in the Flood, which is out on May 28th. I, I do think this is my favorite song from that record as of now, although I will note that it's the album's closing track, and I usually don't like it when bands put out an album's final song as a single before the whole album releases. Like, to me, it just takes away a moment that I personally think should always be saved for the full listening experience, but, y you know, whatever. So yeah, I like this song, but... Even when listening to it, I can hear many repeated elements from other Our Hollow Our Home tracks, and that does make me a bit cautious because as singles, I think this type of shit works, but a full album with many of the same themes and ideas intertwined in every song could sway me into the opposite direction of favorable. And maybe I'm just being an asshole, but... One of the last things I want to hear in this scene right now is another average metalcore album that does nothing to deviate from its contemporaries. And I am not at all saying that I expect to hear that on Burning the Flood, but I'm just putting that out there to make a worry of mine known, and I do hope to be proven wrong on May 28th when I have the full album. Doing Me is Scarlord's newest single, and I, I, I think he just released an album like two months ago or something, so having a new single out right away is strange, but I, I feel like Scarlord has done shit like this before. Uh, Scarlord is really talented, and I am a fan of his, but at the same time, he's the type of artist who I feel better off listening to 
in pieces here and there rather than on a regular basis because I think his take on screamo rap, for lack of a better way of explaining the genre, can feel stagnant when overexposed. Doing Me utilized a cheat code of sorts to get me on its side. The chorus of this song is taken from the outro of the Bring Me the Horizon song, It Never Ends. Like, literally, Scarlord repeats almost word for word Ollie Sykes' lines. Every minute, every hour, every second, every day, it never ends, it never ends. The ordering of the words is changed up just slightly, but that is the outro to It Never Ends. Like, deadass. And it found its way into this track, and I can't express how appreciative I was of that, that little nod to Bring Me the Horizon. That made it easier for me to get into the rest of this song, so I have nothing but positive things to say about Doing Me, and I honestly might like it more than any song from Scarlord's most recent album. Sir Sly dropped their latest single, Are We Having Any Fun, which is part of the band's album The Rise and Fall of Loverboy, coming on April 23rd. This song was a lot of fun, so I guess that answers the title's question. It's one of those tracks that sounds, you know, upbeat and positive in terms of its instrumentation, but then you hear the lyrics and it sounds like someone bearing their beaten soul out to the listener. And that's actually mirrored in the artwork that shows, like, what looks to be a wrecked car halfway into a bunch of flowers and plants. And I probably described that horribly, but what whatever, it is what it is. For someone like myself who isn't always in tune with indie pop, I thought Are We Having Any Fun was really, really cool, and it did its job in getting me excited to hear the rest of this album next week. Aaron Matz, the ex-vocalist for Betraying the Martyrs, unveiled his new band 1056's first single called Diazepam. This project also has members of Kadinja, Uneven Structure, and Novelist FR. Um, industrial new metalcore? I, I guess those are terms you can use to describe Diazepam if it has to be put into a bubble. But regardless, this was such a treat to listen to. I hadn't heard anything prior about this project's existence, and that's one of the best feelings I can get on a Friday when saving songs to my Spotify to talk about on here. Like, having never heard of a band or an artist before, and just being taken aback by how much I like what I'm hearing. Diazepam is a showcase for every member of this band and what they're capable of, and in that sense, it is about as effective of a debut song as any band could ask for. 1056 has their identity down from this one track, or at least that was the impression I got from listening to this. Tessa Violet dropped a new version of her song Games, which was part of her 2019 album Bad Ideas. So this song is already almost two years old, but it was reborn through this remix because it features Lovely the band providing vocals in certain sections. And maybe they also contributed to the instrumentation. Like, I, I listened to both versions back-to-back -back a few times, and I want to say that I could notice some differences, but maybe it was just in my head. But either way, I thought this was a stellar idea, and putting it into practice was very much so worth it for both Tessa Violet 
and Lovely the Band. It reminded me of when All Time Low and Black Bear remixed Monsters a few months ago with Demi Lovato. And in, you know, similar spirit to that song, this new Lovely the Band version of Games feels like the superior incarnation of this track and the one that I'm going to start going to whenever I feel like listening to it. The Hara just put out Afterlife, which is their second single so far this year. The first having been Black Soul Ceremony. Um, I don't believe either of those songs are attached to any larger projects as of now, but I imagine that they will be at some point. Um, I thought the song was really cool. Maybe my only, my only gripe with it was that it took a little more than a minute for me to truly get into it, whereas other songs from the Hara managed to do that nearly instantly. And Afterlife is probably a step below Black Soul Ceremony, and for sure, absolutely below some songs from their Play Dead EP like Bite Down, but still a really solid song that I did enjoy. The Hara is a really cool band, and I do recommend them if anyone listening to this is interested in alternative rock that puts a big emphasis on vocals that sound like they could have come from, you know, 70s or 80s projects. The main dropped the song April 7th on April 7th. Cute. Clever. Um, this is the second single from their upcoming album, XOXO from Love and Anxiety in Real Time, which is due out on July 9th. I had a dilemma about whether I prefer this song or Sticky, which was the first single that came out a few weeks ago. And uh, it, it probably Sticky, but I still have a lot of good things to say about April 7th. Um... It is a pretty standard main song, but I think it sees the band expand on their already established sound. It doesn't really take any chances or try anything new, but for years now, the main have had their formula down and they've stuck with it, and I, I kind of have to respect that. Like, if something's not broken, then don't fix it, and the main can get away with that, in my opinion, because they do pop rock better than... A shit ton of the other bands around them in that genre. April 7th is catchy and heartfelt and I, I think this was another job well done by the main. Blue Mist in My Head by Tiger Cub. Holy shit, where did this song come from? January was my first time listening to this band through their single called Beauty and I thought it was fine. But I'd be fucking lying if I said I've gone back to that song once since then. But Blue Mist in My Head is on a completely separate level and really forced me to like sit down, listen, and appreciate what Tiger Cub can offer to the scene. In a really strange way, the band feels frantic during the verses, but they're not rushing through the material. It's delivered exactly as it should be, and then the chorus comes in, and the song just bursts into a catchy rhythm that sounds like it's disintegrating by the end of it. Frantic, chaotic, and catchy are the best terms I can attach to this song, and I'm absolutely in love with it. Y'all ever heard of a band called 21 Pilots? Small band. Um, no, no one's even paying attention to them. Not a big deal whatsoever. Definitely not a big deal. Um, so they have a new album dropping on May 21st called Scaled and Icy. And with that announcement came the lead single called Shy Away. 
very, very, very different than anything they did on Trench and Blurryface and any other prior record of theirs. But in my opinion, it works so well. I genuinely love this new direction for 21 Pilots, and I say that having already liked what they had going for them. This band unapologetically embraces a sound that is grounded in synth-pop more than anything else, and, and that new sound fits the whole aesthetic of what Scaled and Icy is going for. Um, so I'm curious to hear what the rest of the album sounds like, because I think an entire album of songs like Shy Away could be really cool, but there's also probably some, you know, room for error, and maybe I end up taking back the praise I'm giving 21 Pilots right now for this direction. But I suppose we're just going to have to wait a few weeks and see what happens. Finally, the last single I'm talking about today was the number one song in Scenic Overlook. Even if I said earlier that Death Wish by Lolo might actually have that spot, Windrunner are back after about a year and a half and dropped Cyan. Here's my honest initial thought about this song after hearing it a few times on Friday. If you asked me to name my personal Mount Rushmore of metalcore songs thus far in the decade, Kingslayer by Bring Me the Horizon, Holy Roller by Spirit Box, Obsolete by Of Mice and Men, Cyan by Windrunner. This song is perfect. It takes every metalcore trope I selfishly love and pieces each one together to create a song that is unlike anything else I've reviewed so far on this show. It's heavy, the structure is just a tad bit disorganized in a manner that keeps you invested because you don't know where the song is going next. Both the clean and harsh vocals find unity with one another and really, really allow this song to blossom into something special. Even the music video deserves high praise because I, I, I'm such a fucking sucker for these kind of videos. It's animated and not really in the way that like gorillas do it where the band is performing the song as animated characters, but rather the members of Windrunner are part of an ongoing story throughout the video. And the art direction for this video is incredible, and I cannot say enough good things about it. This is metalcore perfection. This is what happens when a band instills every bit of trust from their abilities and deliver a remarkable, memorable, genre-defining track that I will be keeping with me for a long, long fucking time moving forward. Okay. Yeah, wow. That was... That was every single that I had to review. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm already feeling kind of spent and fatigued, and I'm, I'm definitely straining my voice talking for this long. But there's still more music to cover, and I'm not gonna, not gonna back away from the episode now. On to the two EPs I have to review. I'm gonna start with "Haha, ha, I Like It," which is the debut EP from Loon. And I, I do hope I'm saying that correctly. Initially, I assumed that Loon was some new up-and-coming EDM artist. My, my only exposure to her was through promotion on social media by Lights, who is easily one of my favorite artists of all time. And then there was an interview posted to 
EDM.com last Friday where I realized that Loon isn't a new artist. She's literally lights. And, and finding that out was like that one meme of the astronaut pointing a gun. So the dialogue for that would have been like, wait, it's all lights? Always has been. The actual origin of Loon is that a few years ago, Lights released an album called Skin and Earth, which, just throwing this out there, I, I think is a perfect album. And Skin and Earth was also a comic book series, and in that comic, Loon made inconspicuous appearances through things like concert flyers. So, Loon is a character from that series, and her music has actually been brought to life by Lights. It's such a fucking cool-ass concept, and I think it's a bold yet commendable approach by Lights to release new music that doesn't need to be attached to her discography. Like, she is free to try things in a way that she wouldn't be under the Lights name. So, you know, all that being said, let me just finally get into the actual EP. This is one of the most consistent releases of the year so far. Every song manages to stay within the lines of pretty standard EDM while also being distinguishable from one another. Like, the build-up in the opening song, Bitches, is vastly different from that of Y2K2K, which is a song that follows it, and this EP is primarily instrumental outside of the songs Us at the Boat and Demolition, the latter actually featuring Lights as a credited guest artist, which is some inception type shit that I fucking love. This is just so easy to get through. Six songs, a little over 20 minutes, and I was not bored once listening to this. If anything, it kind of makes me want to hear another release from Lights under the Loon name. Like, I don't know if that's something she would actually do, but she has the chance now to operate under two different names, and I think that's fucking sick. This is a phenomenal EP, and I can't stress my admiration for it enough. The second EP from last week I'm discussing is Slow Burn by Keepsake, which is also their debut. Keepsake is a melodic hardcore band from Sydney, Australia, and by this point, I'm like mind blown by just how much fucking talent we see come from Australia nowadays. For a debut EP, this is unreal. Three songs, and each of them deliver with the exact ferocity that they needed to. The opening song, Stay, builds itself up perfectly with the introduction of spoken word vocals that I found to be reminiscent of being as an ocean. And from there, it just unravels itself to reveal one of the most complete melodic hardcore songs I've heard in a minute. It's as beautiful as it is brutal, and that continues into passivity, and that song has such an anthemic feel to it, and for at least the early portion of their career, I think Keepsake should run with passivity as their signature song of sorts. And then the EP ends with Autumn, which takes just a slightly different approach to establishing its atmosphere than the other two songs, but it still left its mark on the entire release. Just Overall, a fucking well-executed EP. And again, this is Keepsake's debut, and I already think they're leagues above other bands in the genre. So, if 
anyone listening to this has the ability to do this right now, I ask that you go to either the ulterior Instagram or Twitter account and look at the ratings I gave to both the Loon and Keepsake EPs. If you'll notice, I said on there that I liked every song from those two EPs, yet I only gave them scores of 4.5 out of 5. If I liked every song, why weren't they given 5s? Here's the thing about this reviewing scale that I'm trying to make sense out of. It's entirely possible for me to like every part of something, yet not believe it's perfect. Loon and Keepsake wrote as magnificent of EPs as any artist could without them being perfect. And just for comparison's sake, the two EPs so far I've rated perfect scores this year are Paranoia by Maggie Lindemann and Timeless by Of Mice and Men. Do I like the Loon and Keepsake EPs as much as those two? No. And that's why I have to cap their scores at 4.5. So, I just wanted to explain that because I imagine that's going to happen again in the future. Okay, now onto the three albums I have to review this week. First, we have uh, Termina is a project led by Nick Nocturnal and Andy Sizik both of whom achieved notoriety on YouTube. I primarily know Nick for his reaction videos and guitar covers, while I'm familiar with one of Andy's other bands, Makari, which is a drastically different outfit than Termina. Um, I enjoy a lot of what I've seen and heard from both of them, which is what makes my true feelings on Dysphoria more bitter to swallow. I... I didn't fuck with this album. The only song on here that I truly liked was Fade Away, and maybe that's just because it's the opener, and thus, I didn't have the opportunity yet to become bored with this record. And as I progressed through Dysphoria, I just found myself becoming more and more detached from the material. What I will acknowledge is that the technical prowess found in the instrumentation on these songs, and the delivery of the screams, are fucking outstanding, so all of that was able to keep my attention just ever so slightly. Or at least enough to where I was able to finish this album, even though, again, I wasn't really enjoying myself. This album kind of speaks to what I've said before about modern metalcore and how some of it can feel like it, it all blends together. Like, I, I look at the tracklist for this album, and I couldn't tell you what separates um, the Abyss from Servant of Death. And I really, really don't mean for this to sound harsh. It, it just wasn't for me. But I have all the respect in the world for both Nick Nocturnal and Andy Sizik, and I implore them to continue to do what makes them and their audience happy. Briston Moroni dropped what looks to be his debut album, Sunflower. Um, there was an error that I made on social media last week pertaining to this album. I reviewed the second song on this record, Bottle Rocket, as a single because I thought that's what it was. That song showed up on one of the playlists I follow to find music for this podcast, and I made the mistake on my part of not checking to see if this song was part of something larger like an album or an EP. So I, I, I do apologize for that mistake, and that's why I went ahead and listened to this whole album 
because I thought that if I cared enough to review that one song that I thought was a single, I should have that same energy for the rest of Briston's release. The opening stretch of this album is good. Like, really fucking good. Sinkin', Bottle Rocket, It's Still Cool If You Don't, and Freeway are all really interesting sounding songs that fall into categories of alternative music that I wouldn't normally find myself listening to. These songs are like pop mixed with indie and then some small strands of alternative rock thrown in there. And those four songs really did a lot to sell me on Briston Maroney. And, and, and then the rest of the album happened and I kind of just felt defeated. Deep Sea Diver was the first indication that this album wasn't what I thought it was going to be since I was just so bored with that song. And it really did a lot to take me out of the experience. I think halfway through Sunflower, my interest just about took a fucking nosedive, and I couldn't find any more enjoyment in this record. I think in the second half, Y and Cinnamon are the only bright spots, and then everything else falls flat. There are definitely songs on this album that I don't see myself skipping if they come up on shuffle later, but just as an entire release, Sunflower was a, a very mixed bag that I wanted to like more than I ultimately did. And for the final review on this episode, Brockhampton released their latest album, Roadrunner, New Light, New Machine. I said last week that I've not been super attentive to the history of Brockhampton, although I have liked pretty much everything I've heard from them. So really, this album provided my first experience of hearing Brockhampton while considering myself a fan of theirs, and what I ended up getting out of this was one of the most satisfying and fulfilling albums of the modern era. Literally, out of the 13 songs on Roadrunner, Windows was the only one that I, I didn't fully understand, and it didn't click with me to the extent that everything else did. This album is an unforgettable journey. Buzzcut and Count On Me, which were released prior as singles, somehow sound even more massive as part of the album. I thought the features that weren't Windows delivered on every front, like JPEG Mafia on the track Chain On, and then ASAP Rocky and ASAP Ferg on Bankroll, Charlie Wilson on I'll Take You On. I, I even found out that Count On Me has an uncredited feature from Shawn Mendes, and hearing that song back now with that knowledge, it just adds to what I already thought was a perfect song. There are some, some heavy, and I mean fucking heavy stories told on this record that are immensely personal to the members of Brockhampton. Maybe none more than the themes centered around Joba's father's suicide. The first verse of The Light hears Joba speak the lines, when I look at myself, I see a broken man, remnants of my pops put the glock to his head. It's that storytelling that kept me glued to some of these songs. Catchiness aside, because everything on this album is catchy, but it is also just, it, it fucking tugs at your heartstrings. Joba speaks more on that subject in the penultimate song, Dear Lord. Well, actually, it's not even Joba speaking. 
that that song sees Bareface literally pray to God to take care of Joba. And then in the closing song, The Light Part 2, it, it, it's bookended by Joba whispering, The light is worth the wait, I promise. Wait, why did you do it? The light is worth the wait, I promise. Wait, screaming, please don't do it. And in both parts of The Light, Kevin Abstract also speaks about his own upbringing and sexuality, and that's another story intertwined with this record that gives Roadrunner the kind of life and heartbeat that other records might be lacking. Roadrunner is the most gut-punching yet danceable album that Brockhampton could have possibly put out. Like, these songs are fucking vibes, rhythmically, and then once you dive deeper into the lyricism and understand what the members are speaking about, it unlocks an entirely new appreciation for the material. Roadrunner is a godsend of an album, and I feel so fortunate to have been able to just be a listener. I love this album. I cannot possibly get enough of it. And, and there are so many other areas of this album that I should be speaking about, but I'm kind of rushing through my thoughts because this episode is already really, really long and I don't want to take up more of anyone's time. But I do believe I'll have more opportunities to talk about Roadrunner in more detail later on because I can't imagine a world where I'm not bringing up this album's name again when award season starts in December. So, that's it. Yeah. Fuck my voice, dude. Every song, an album, an EP I listened to last week. All reviewed on here. Holy shit. I am fucking spent and tired and... Wow. Um, this podcast is taking more out of me than I imagined. But th this is... This is what I wanted. This is the path I've chosen to take, so... Yeah, I'm just gonna... Just gonna keep going through it. Um, I don't really have it in me right now to come up with a, a heartfelt or comedic outro, so I'll just get to the catchphrase and let that be the end. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Take care of yourselves. And for better or worse, let's make a scene.